Well, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to FBC. Thank you, Marcy. I appreciate that. Uh, my name is Peter Nittler. I am the college pastor at FBC here, where we are. And um, it's good to be together, particularly on this Sunday, uh, on the weekend where we celebrate Martin Luther King's um, life and legacy, and how good it is to do that collectively, um, to remember the legacy of a man who knew um, deep in his bones the power of a collective people uh, marching toward justice, and uh, that justice was not something that was done when we individually had thoughts in our heads of, of well wishes for people, but actually when, when the people of God knew again deep in their bones collectively uh, the, that, that all people are precious image bearers of, of the king and then acted accordingly to that. Um, a man who knew that we all had a part to play in the tapestry of justice, um, not just those on the front lines, not just those who feel like injustice is being done to them, but that we all had a part to play and uh, what a good thing to collectively be together and remembering that legacy and then listening to the challenge, too, um, that it still poses to us um, today. So, well done celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, weekend. And, and again, good to be together to do it. Um, who are we, by the way? Uh, well, we're First Baptist Church. We are a community of people helping all people discover faith in Jesus Christ and then to grow in love um, by the power of the Spirit. Oh, no, grow in love for God and others, and then by the power of the Spirit, uh, become ambassadors of hope. And, uh, and that's what we want to do. That's what we're hoping to do. And uh, a few things to say about that. If you want to get involved with this mission, this hope um, that we have for, for you and for the world, for Davis, uh, it'd be great for you to maybe scan that Connect card. You also have a Connect card in the seat back in front of you that you can fill out, and you can take it to the Connect table, which as you leave the double doors that lead to the outside will be on like your 3 o'clock, Okay. And you can take it to them, and there will be a friendly face waiting to welcome you. And if you're brand new and would like to give us some information, would like to meet a friendly face, you'll also get a little uh, gift card for uh, the coffee shop of your liking. So anyway, that would be wonderful to, to be updated on your information or to be updated on anything else that you would like for us to know. And now it's my job and my pleasure to tell you about three things happening in the life of the church. The first is this, that next week is our semi-annual business meeting, which, to be honest, is a name that could use some good PR work, okay? Because that doesn't sound fun. But I'll tell you what, it's good to go to, and uh, here's what's going to happen. We talk about the details of the church. What's going on? What are the, 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 the good nuts and bolts that are happening that maybe we don't have time to talk about from up front, but it's sort of the, uh, the momentum and the tide that's happening in the church. Updates from staff about exciting things that are happening. Uh, financial updates so we can sort of know what's our position and, and where can we, what can we do with that, where are we going with that. So it's good stuff, and it would be great to have you join us next week for the semi-annual business meeting to be informed about what's happening uh, in the life of the church. And second about uh, what's going on in the church is this. Uh, one of our hopes is that Sunday mornings would not be synonymous with church, that there would be something other than just our gathering on Sunday mornings that felt like it was FBC. And one of those things is actually retreats, that we sort of think that retreats is where FBC happens as well. And one of the retreats coming up is the Lighthouse Winter Retreats. And the um, retreats, I, from my memory as a kid growing up and into college and, and even now, these are the moments where getting away from the normal routine, God can do something different when we till the soil in a different way. And sometimes these retreats are where the, the best bonds uh, happen. Even we were talking about in our College Life Leaders meeting this morning that there's conversations that happen that do so much heavy lifting for people feeling bonded, connected, and part of something that just sometimes can't happen in the normal routine of life. So 
Uh, this is happening, and we're going to Leone Meadows. It's a joint retreat with UCC, and registration is now open on the website if you'd like to go. We hope tons of teens will go um, on these retreats. The third thing is this, then the final thing, is that you should have a little flyer on your seat, and, or you're sitting on it. If you don't have it in your hand, you're sitting on it. There it is. And consider that little flyer your invitation to Alpha 2023 at FBC. Expected a round of applause. I'd like for you to give me a round of applause. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, l- let me paint you a little picture, okay? Imagine that you are somebody who occasionally has big thoughts in tiny, tiny moments. Maybe when you're doing the dishes, you're wondering, is there more, <laughs> is there more to life? Like, I'm kind of doing this routine, sort of living my life. Is there more to life than what I'm experiencing? Uh, maybe when you're driving, you're at a red light. Maybe you're wondering, uh, why, is there, why is there evil in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? How do I make sense of that? Um, I'm told God is good, and yet my neighbor has cancer, and it just doesn't seem to make sense. Um, or maybe it's when you're in the shower, and you're just thinking, uh, is there any purpose to all this? Is there any order to the universe? You sort of look at the, sky, the, the stars and the sky, and you're like, what's out there? Is, am I the only thing that's, that's wondering this? Or just those big thoughts. My question to you, if you're the kind of person that thinks those thoughts is what do you do with those thoughts? When they come up in your mind, they sort of come to the forefront for a little bit of time, what do you do with them? Because if you're anything like me, what usually happens is you think about them for about 12 seconds, and then they sort of recede back down to the, to the recesses of your brain and, and your conscious mind. And it's amazing to me how many of those big questions, which are the big things of life, we just don't give adequate attention to Um, They get maybe a 12-second fleeting thought here and there. But what if, what if there was a space where you could come and you can engage with those questions, and the space was, it was a comfortable room, and you actually, before you got to talking about those questions, there was a delicious home-cooked dinner that you got to eat. You got to eat surrounded by interesting people who were there for a similar purpose. And then what if actually together then you watched like a 20, 30-minute expertly produced video um, that's sort of the basics of the Christian faith. But what it will do is it's like a magnet, and it will pull those unconscious thoughts that you have about the world sometimes, pull them to the forefront of your mind so that then you can actually, after the video, you can discuss those things. And you don't have to agree with everything that's on the video. You don't have to think everything's all true. There's no agreement at the end that you will, but you get to talk with real people about these kinds of things. And that you can invite someone that you know has thoughts about these kinds of things, and they can talk, and they can share their opinion, they can share what they're thinking about it, and they can listen to other people's perspectives. That would be pretty good if that existed. Am I right? Thank you. And uh, if you are someone who gives money to FBC and and wants to see your resources being used for good, know that this exists because (laughs) you've done that. We get to provide this resource for people in this community, and, and maybe it's you. Are you that kind of person that has the thoughts? Are you the kind of person who used to know what you think about these things but are starting to sort of deconstruct what you're thinking or what you thought you knew? Are you someone who knows someone who who has these thoughts and and you sort of know, hey, I think you might enjoy coming to talk about these things. For all three of those, come to Alpha. Alpha is the spot where you will have uh, a chance to, in an unhurried, unrushed, unpressured way, have conversations about some of the biggest things of life. And yes, what we hope is that there will be people who at the end of this will say yes to Jesus. But we know it's a good thing to do. Okay, we know it's a good thing to do. So 
Um, if you are interested in coming to Alpha, I hope you are. And uh, two next steps for you. Okay, so like I said, we're having a dinner every single week. And what we need for the first week, we need to know how many mouths we're going to feed. And so if you, um, if you are planning to come, it would be great for you to sign up so that we know that we're going to feed you. So you can sign up on the website or you can sign up. There's going to be a table right across from the Connect table. Um, uh, in the courtyard, and it would be great for you to just sign up there. And then we're also looking for people to cook food, and this is a desperate need. And we know that people have cooked food in the past, and so we're inviting you and anyone else new um, who would like to cook for us uh, to, to feed all the people that are going to be coming. Um, there's also a sign-up sheet with Nikki, and I think I will try to be there at the table there um, at the end of the service. So that's what you can do. Sign up on the website, go to the table to learn more, or sign up there. And uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. But for now, that's enough for me. I'd love for you to stand up and just say something nice to someone next to you. Encourage them before we hear the sermon. All right, let's go ahead and grab our seats again. Glad you're here this morning, here in this room and joining us online. Glad you've jumped in. And I'm Steve, and I'm the senior pastor here. We're in this sermon series called More Than Meets the Eye, which rises out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesians, you see, are, were particularly aware and sensitive to the spiritual forces at work around them. The otherworldly conflict at play, the heavenly interplay that was going on all around them. And so Paul writes this letter and he says what he says to help them see God in that natural and supernatural interplay and interaction so that they could live more conf confidently, more robustly for Jesus. And so we're kind of eavesdropping in on someone else um, and his train of thought of how there is more than meets the eye so that we too could see more, so that we could know more, so that we could follow Jesus more robustly too. And this includes uh, how we pray. Um, one of my personal favorite stories about prayer involves a journalist who was assigned to the Jerusalem Bureau. Um, she ended up taking an apartment, you know, across from that famed wailing wall that we've all seen before. And every day she looked out, she noticed an old Jewish man praying vigorously there. And she was so struck by it that she eventually went down and introduced herself to this older man. And she asked him, she said, you come to the wall every day. How long have you been doing that? And what are you actually praying for? And he replied, you know, I have come here to this wall to pray for, for 25 years. And in the morning, I pray for world peace and for the brotherhood of humanity. And I go home, I have a cup of tea, and then I come back and I pray for the eradication of illnesses and disease from the earth. And the journalist was absolutely blown away. And she asked, how does it make you feel to come every day for 25 years and pray such lofty thoughts and aspirations? And, and the old man looked at her with kind of a, a sense of poignancy almost. And he said, like I'm talking to a wall. I love that story because that's kind of summing up my prayer life and how it can feel to me so often that I can feel like I'm talking to a wall. I'm talking to the ceiling because nothing seems to go anywhere or at least nowhere immediately that I can see. 
And it's not as if our prayers just bounce off the wall or to the ceiling. They reach God and, and he's immovable like that wall can be. He's immovable in his love and his grace for us, which we all love and appreciate, don't we? But he's also immovable in his sovereignty to do what he wants according to his goodness and his wisdom and intentions. I mean, God's immovability as our rock, it gives us security, it gives us safety, which we again appreciate even in the hardest of times. But he's also immovable in accomplishing his purposes as he sees fit. And in light of that, how can we talk to God? How can we pray that's not just a waste of our time? How can we speak and interact with God in ways that change us, connect with him, and actually reflect what we still want and need him to do? Now, there's a lot of great resources available to help us out and give real help, real wisdom in this, which men and women have written and over the centuries. But Paul actually models it for us in how he prays for the Ephesians. You see, after unpacking God, how God's sovereignly immovable, giving us a sure and enduring identity to build a life on and with what he's done, which we talked about last week, Paul then unveils his very own prayer life in behalf of the Ephesians in light of that. And that means that if we'll grasp his three prayer tactics of thanking and asking and reviewing, that we'll actually have more to pray, more directions to speak with God that won't feel like we're just talking to a wall. So does that sound good? Okay, what I'd like you to do, get your Bible out, get that Bible app open on your phone, and find your way to achieve Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And if you grab one of those blue Bibles on the chair in front of you or on the tables next to you, uh, Ephesians 1 is on page 976. And while we're there, Annabelle is going to read the scripture for us. So let's listen and follow along. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he, might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what is incredibly remarkable is that this is something that Paul prays all the time. Or as he puts it, he says, I do not cease to pray this. 
Paul isn't saying that he walks around in a spirit of prayer when he says that or that he's mumbling under his breath every waking hour and talking to God and saying this. It's probably more likely that he holds to a pattern of prayer to check in with God. Probably three times a day if he kept to his Jewish roots that had been ingrained in him since a young child. So probably Paul had this built-in pattern of prayer where he would speak with God part of which included what Annabelle read for us. And he'd do it in the morning, he'd do it at midday, and he'd do it in the evening. And that means that when Paul is showing us this, he's speaking from a place of a practiced practitioner of prayer. Hours each day, in fact, praying for the churches over years. Now, that can crush us if we try to measure up to it, because I suspect many of us don't. I know that I certainly don't. I often feel like I struggle with prayer because I feel like I'm talking to a wall sometimes, right? I admitted this already. Or we can actually listen to Paul and let his seasoned experience infuse our own prayer life with a bit more energy, a bit more intentionalities that we can take. Because he kept speaking to God in his immovable sovereignty, and he did it in ways that Paul just kept coming back for more and more and more every day. So, his first tactic was to give thanks for you. That is, Paul had heard of their faith in Jesus and how they were continuing to lean into Jesus for how he lived and died and rose and reigned for them. To, to such an extent, they were following him in a very challenging environment that was Ephesus in that day. And Paul was equally aware with how they loved each other, how, how they stood in each other's corner, and how they looked out for one another's good. And to Paul, these were signs of God's grace in their lives. That faith, uh, that followership, that, that love were, were God's sovereign fingerprints like all over them as he urged them to do this, as God was helping them to do that. And as a result, this was Paul's cue to thank God, to appreciate God for how very kind and how very generous he was to do it because he doesn't have to do it, but yet he did it out of his kindness and his grace and he did it even when it was secret behind the scenes that no one might have noticed had Paul not been hunting for it. I mean, God, God is a God of grace. And so he's always, always bent and working toward us in grace. Just like any doting parent does with their child. He's immovable in that way. To shower grace on us with, with Jesus coming for us, yes, and, and in his spirit now residing in us with, with the help and forgiveness that we need just when we need it. The strength to not give up. The faith to simply trust him and lean into him. The impetus to do the good that we, that we end up doing. You know, the internal cues that kind of reset us from doing the wrong that we, we feel like we need to do. God's fingerprints are all over our lives and each other's lives. If we'd only stop assuming it or complaining when it doesn't look the way we want to see it and start noticing how God is immovably showering us with grace. And then we'll have something always to talk to him about and thank him.
I stumbled across a story about one Mr. Otha Anders. Um, he was a supervisor for in-school suspended children in Ruston, Louisiana. And for 45 years, he had bent down and collected something that most of us just ignore, pennies. And then when he was finally 73 years old, he took them to his local bank in 15 five-gallon jugs. That's a lot of pennies, right? Um, the bank's coin machines, it took them five hours to process all the pennies that he had collected. And it ended up totaling $5,136.14, right? And he then deposited it into his bank account. But what struck me wasn't the story about his penny picking up, because now all of us are going to pick up pennies, aren't we? You know, uh, It was his thankfulness. Each, now, each new penny that he saw on the ground served as a cue for him to thank God. Here's how he put it. He said, I became convinced that spotting a lost or dropped penny was an additional God-given incentive, reminding me to always be thankful. There have been days when I have failed to pray, and more often than not, a lost or dropped penny would show up to remind me. Pennies were Arthur Anders' cue to thank God. What's yours? What's something actually that maybe you're already doing that you can use as a cue to strike this note of thanking God and looking for his grace in your life and in the lives of people around you? I mean, a meal is a great chance to do that. We, we eat like three times a day, sometimes even more than that, right? And if for nothing else, the, the, for the food before us, which many don't have the chance to enjoy like we do. You know, maybe it's an alarm on your phone that you set. Or maybe it's the breaks that you take, you know, during the day at work or school or, or uh, at home. Or maybe it's just a walk that you like to take, and that maybe can just be a cue to kind of replay God's grace and thank him for it. In the face of God's immovable sovereignty, we thank him for his immovable grace extended to us. That's the first prayer tactic that Paul uses. The second one is asking. But I want you to notice that his asking is not happenstance here. His asking is actually intentionally shaped by God's purposes. Look at what he says. He says this. He says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The heart of what Paul is actually asking for in this very verbose section that he's going on here is this. is that they would give a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Or let me put it more simply. Let me dumb it down for me, okay? Uh, Paul is asking for God to make it possible for them to know him better. 
Now, it's not as if they didn't know God, right? I mean, they did, which is why Paul waxed eloquent like we talked about last week and how they knew him and they had experienced him as ones who, who were adopted by God and redeemed by Jesus and, and sealed by the Spirit. Their eyes of their hearts were already open in so many ways and yet Paul asked for God to open their eyes wider, to take in more divine light, to know God better and experience him more fully. Paul wanted God to give them even more enlightenment, a deeper understanding to know, you know, what is the hope to which he called you to. He wanted them to know hope, to chase their despair away and replace it with this vision of the future that God ultimately has for every Christian. An ultimate future that God has promised where our good will remain, our bad will be turned to good, and the best is yet to come. And he wants them to know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. To eclipse this low value that people tend to put on the church with the truest measure of how God sees the church. He treasures the church. He counts it as riches, this whole collection of Christians throughout the ages and spread throughout the world that he demonstrated in giving his own son. And he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. To unseat our timidity with the assurance of divine power being unleashed in Jesus, unleashed in the spirit that is exercised for our good, the church's welfare, and this world's restoration. And so this, this is what Paul is praying, is asking God in a way that is shaped by God's purposes. He's not just randomly asking for things. He's looking at God's purposes and he's shaping what he wants. And with God as immovable, as he's working in his purposes, Paul let that inform him. Let him guide his prayers. And then he could continue to ask in that vein, knowing God would do it. And knowing sometimes God wouldn't do it unless his people would pray. It's like he saw that there is this flow cutting through human history like some river. And this river, its true source is God. Its waters are God's purposes. And so to pray against those currents, to pray across those currents, it's going to feel futile. But somehow, take what we want and reshape it with our ass to go with that current and to pray in the flow of God's purposes. Know that we can just keep on asking when nothing seems to be working and nothing seems to be happening because it will. It will. That doesn't mean there's not frustration. Doesn't mean there's not disappointment. But praying within the flow of God's purposes means we can channel our frustration. We can channel even our disappointment to God in asking along those purposes and keeping in mind that he, he controls the flow of it. He controls the strength of it and the way it comes. You see, in the face of God's immovable sovereignty, we make asks of him that are shaped by his purposes. Use God's purposes as a mold and frame to shape how you pray, what you ask God for, what you really want to happen. You know, the purposes of the gospel that we talked about in September that you can review on YouTube or you know your favorite podcast place, right? 
the purposes of God's kingdom that has come in Jesus with streams of redeeming people, of renewing human community, and restoring the creation. Let that imprint itself on your prayers and what you ask for and what you really want him to do. Call on God to do that for the sake of the of everything that you need and for the sake of his reputation because it's what he staked out, what he's going to do in history. Bring all of your emotions into it, your baggage even of the seeds of uncertainty that you may feel because this is what you feel when you're asking. Do it within the flow of God's purposes and do it with perseverance because this will reshape your wants maybe or reveal how much you actually want that thing, or recast your responsibility in that thing. See, in the face of God's immovable sovereignty, we not only thank him for his immovable grace extended to us, we also ask within the shape of his immovable purposes in history. That's the first two prayer tactics Paul uses. The third one is reviewing. As in reviewing what God has already demonstrated. Look at, look at how Paul put it here. He said this. He said, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name, that is name. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. With the mention of that power and God's power, Paul is moved to review just how God has shown this divine power. It wasn't simply enough for him to comment and to stop talking to say, well, God is all-powerful. God's all, you know, omnipotent. It's not enough to just kind of throw in that line for him. He moves to this grand review of how God has demonstrated his power. He rehearses what God has accomplished in unleashing his power that is plain for everyone to see. And as a result, he begins with what is most difficult and most impossible things to do in his mind. He says that his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is that preeminent show of God's power. After all, God did not just resuscitate Jesus or revive him from the dead. No, no, no. He raised him to life with a body fit for heaven and earth to move in seamlessly, which would never die again. And then God continued this desperate demonstration of power when he invested it in Jesus as the ultimate sovereign of the whole cosmos, seen and unseen, because God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God's very own sovereign divine power now is active and working in and through the resurrected Christ, ruling and reigning over the entire cosmos. Think about it. Nothing happens or has happened or will happen except by Jesus' direct action or permission. 
And that, listen, that's mysterious and at times frustrating and very confusing to us. But nonetheless, it's according to Jesus' wisdom, it's according to his goodness that he steers this raging river of God's purposes through history. And God's demonstration of power is capped off when God gave him as head over all things to the church. And so right now, God's power is seen in how Jesus rules and reigns, listen, for the benefit of the church. And really, that's the only way that I can explain how the church has survived all these centuries with how we've been, right? I mean, sure, listen, the church has had its moments of goodness. I get it, you know, like, you know, in the plagues, you know, when we, they cared for the poor and the sick and the dying when everyone else fled. Or like when they organized schools for education, you know, or like safeguarding women and children in antiquity when they were treated as disposable by everyone else. I get that. But we've also had some incredible weak moments, haven't we? Come on. We've been boneheaded. Even now, and it should have destroyed the church, except God has demonstrated his power, invested in Jesus for the good of the church. Because guess what? We're here. And the church is still going and marching through history. And only God's power accounts for that. You see, this is a review of God's power shown in real time and in real space. Paul does it to serve as a reminder for himself that this is where God's power has been tangible, where it's been undeniable. And he does it even to kind of remind God of what we know about him and what we expect of him. It's like, you've already done this, do this yet again. And praying this review of power is crucial because we tend to assume nothing is happening unless we see it, right? I mean, it's why we end up praying the way we do or not praying the way we do, or is it just me, right? Um, when Gossium came on staff a couple of years ago, we had this very long talk about prayer in my office. I honestly wanted to get better at praying because I admire his prayer life. I do. Um, not just how he prays and how we listen to it, but also his fervency and his commitment to his practice. And so I kind of wanted to pick his brain on it for a bit. And in the course of our conversation, I was struck by how much I viewed God as powerful, but just kind of sitting there and kind of doing what he wants and not paying attention, you know, maybe. Made me feel like I had to rouse him to action to get going on this thing that really concerned me. Kind of colored how I prayed, to be honest, and how I didn't pray. Fed my doubts, my resignations about prayer. I mean, it became glaringly obvious that that is not how Gaussian approaches prayer in the least. Gaussian carried this assumption that God was always powerfully at work for his good, for God's purposes. And so he prayed, God, let me just see how you're doing this. Show me your power that's in fact subterranean at this point. Prayer for Gaussian was less about getting God to use his power and more about asking God to surface that power that he was already exercising so that he could see that work, so he could kind of get behind it and celebrate it. Like, like his powerful working was like this tip of the spear that we join in behind. See, that's why you and I, who are from the West, <laughs> need to review God's power because we tend to assume that he's not exercising it, but yet he's exercising it right now. 
the tangible demonstrations of divine power in God, in Jesus' resurrection, in, in him being enthroned in power, um, in, in him ruling for the sake of the church, and the fact that the church is even around, if we really think about it, it gives us hooks to kind of hang our hats on of God's power and the assurance that he's working in power, even if we don't see it. And being assured of God's sovereign power, accomplishing his purposes, it chips away at our doubts. It it emboldens our timid sense of possibilities. It gives us faithful steps to do in response. It enlivens our celebration for how God does show his power and how he does feed our thanksgiving, like we talked about earlier. So don't neglect this. Don't assume it. Review God's power for prayer for, because of how, what it yields. How it will enliven your own sense of what God is doing. You see, what Paul is showing us, what he's modeling for us, is that in the face of God's immovable sovereignty, we thank him for his immovable grace. We ask him within the shape of his immovable purposes. And we review his demonstrations of his immovable power at work. And if we ever doubt that God is this immovable in his grace, uh, in his purposes, in his power, if we ever think that he maybe wavers in those areas, we only need to look at Jesus and how immovable God was in his grace and his purposes and his power, so much so that he would send his son in our likeness to live and die, and rise, and now reign for us. And so let's pray accordingly, shall we? And instead of me doing this for us, since we're talking about prayer, why don't we practice it? What do you say, right? I'm just going to cue you along these lines that we have just talked about, that Paul, Paul models for us, and I'll cue you, give you some space of silence where you can pray along silently with what I cue you, And then I'll close our time, okay? So let's pray together. God, so often we struggle to pray, and I struggle to pray. It feels like the least effective thing that we can do, and we get busy doing things, or we just don't believe that you have real purposes, that you have real grace, that you have real power to actually do more than what we're able to accomplish on our own. And so in these moments, we simply want to practice what we've talked about this morning. We want to begin by expressing our thanks because, God, your fingerprints of grace are all over us and one another. And so we give our thanks to you now. And God, our Father, we come to you. We come to you as your children. And we we really do want and need things from you because we believe you have purposes to accomplish in this world. And so may your kingdom come and your will be done in these wants we express to you now.
And God, we know that you're at work in power, even now, even though we can't see it. And so we review how you've shown your power in history and in our lives where it has surfaced and it is undeniable. And God, we bring this to you the name of Jesus, who enfleshed your grace, lived out your purposes and pushes them forward and demonstrates your power for us. Amen.